Okay, so a warm welcome, a warm welcome to everybody as we do some scary stuff. <laughs> talking about fear, fear, dread, and freedom. And uh, I'm so delighted to be teaching this with my good friends, Kim, David, and Ying. Um, as you might imagine, like the four of us, in order to teach together, we have to have planning meetings, right? And we spend time on Zoom planning things. And we are always smiling when we are planning. Mm -hmm. It's like, what a blessing to for the four of us to work together and um, just have fun planning and teaching together. It's uh, such a beautiful thing. And we want to share this. Kind of like I want to share this with others, some of these explorations that we've been having and some of the discoveries we've been having and hoping that you can explore and discover as well. And with that, I'll turn it over to Ying. Yeah, I just add my warm welcome and um, yeah, so delightful to be able to do this kind of series with all of you and the four of us that have been doing this together for a while. Uh, it's quite a, quite some um, formation <laughs> in some way that this uh, coming to this way um, for this many years. And so I hope this course is another one that will um, uh, enliven, inspire us <laughs> in meeting something that uh, tends to scare us, as uh, Diana was saying. So warm welcome, and I'll pass on to Kim. Okay, so very nice to see everyone. I also want to um, point to the enjoyment I have of teaching with my wonderful three co-teachers. And our explorations are often around the, the suttas, the texts of the written discourses that, that came from the Buddhist teachings. And there's a way in which um, we touch into them, both from our modern perspective, because what else can we bring, and something timeless in them. And I think this quality of uh, fear and also of freedom both go very deep uh, into the human experience. And so I think we get a chance in this topic to really touch the timeless quality of the teachings. I'm going to, um, why don't we have David say a few words and then um, if I could have it back after that, we'll, we'll connect in with people like where they are. David. Sure. And I'll just say hi and add my welcome to those of, of uh, Diana, Kim and Ying and um, maybe touch just into what Kim just said, which is that, yeah, fear, perhaps fundamentally the fear of, is there really freedom if I let go of everything? It really does. It is one of the central um, um, aspects of the practice. And so I'm really pleased that so many people would would show up. Uh, for a class that has fear and dread in the title. So just that, Kim, back to you. Okay. So we often like to um, give kind of an overview of, get a, get a sense of where we're all from. And today we'll do it in an interactive way. If everybody, if you're so moved, could you please put in the chat uh, where you're dialing in from today, where you're zooming in from? Might be nice to get a kind of a visual sense of that. So look at that. Ireland, how about that? Canada, many places in the United States. Brazil. New York. Israel, fantastic. 
Okay, so it's so old at this point, and yet I'm always delighted the way these Zoom meetings can pull in people from everywhere. It's really, really quite wonderful. Thank you, everyone. This gives us a good sense of our little group for these three days. And why don't we now move into the material? Ying. Yeah, thank you. So heartwarming to just get a sense of where we're all coming together to do this. Um, I want to say a few words um, before we dive in into this uh, next three day, uh, three sessions together, maybe offering some overarching um, perspectives about uh, what this course is about. Some of you have taken uh, this Sutta study and the practice series that four of us have been doing. We were all looking at this yesterday and as part of our planning session and and I counted to this is our 18 courses together and since 2019. And as I was reflecting, uh, all of these courses kind of emerged out of four of us really enjoying the combination of studying sutta, discussing them, reflecting them, while practicing with it. And so this uh, flavor of um, uh, all these different modalities of being human, having these capacities to learn, to digest, to reflect, and to embody uh, in, um, in our uh, kind of alive and um, awakeful way. And that's been quite inspiring for each of us. And uh, we thought, why don't we offer this um, uh, a way of engaging uh, in our practice through the suttas and our, our, our own practices uh, together to others. And so here we are. This is the 18th course uh, in this way. So you'll find uh, in our uh, three classes We'll be incorporating all of these different modalities and to learn, to practice with this um, topic around fear, dread, and the possibility of a freedom from it. With it, maybe. And that's um, the other one that I would like to bring in as an um, uh, overarching uh, kind of perspective um, this was when we were talking about, um, when we were planning for the course, um, one of us kind of said something uh, that kind of stuck in my heart. And that is, there was a wish that at the end of this course, one of the major takeaways that we like to have uh, each of us to um, maybe uh, um, to touch in and um, to have a sense. And that is our practice includes everything, including fear, including dread, including freedom. 
And we see that um, as we kind of engage with the practice and engage with the sutta studies, and that we see that uh, transformations and transformative insights happen sometimes in the most unexpected ways. So can we make ourselves available for that possibility in the midst of pleasant and unpleasant and the whole spectrum of all of this? And so those are a few kind of overarching perspective that we wanted to offer. Um, with that, I think I'm going to pass it on to Kim to offer a first teaching uh, in this course. Great, thank you. So, how many people here have no idea what fear is? You're here to learn about this obscure Buddhist concept. No? No, no, nobody. So we all we all know fear in some way. So, I am tasked with the kind of awkward um, topic of giving a catalog of the different kinds of fear that there are so that we can all be clear on the kind of the diversity and the range of this. So I wanted to start with um, just acknowledging that fear is really universal. You know, all cultures recognize it. It is uh, a prominent feature in mythology, in children's stories, in psychological models. And, you know, we project it even into our scientific discoveries of the universe. I want to share a picture with you. Um, these are the moons of Mars, which are named Phobos and Deimos, which mean uh, fear and dread. <laughs> and they're named after the characters from Greek mythology who were the sons of Ares, the god of war. Ares being the, I guess, the Greek equivalent of Mars, right? So kind of makes sense. Although when you look at them up close, um, they're not that uh, scary looking, right? So anyway, we have uh, fear and dread even, you know, projected out into the, into the universe as we discover it. So we've all, we all know about these. We've all experienced fear. But do we really know fear? You know, in Buddhist understanding, fear is part of dukkha or suffering. So Buddhist teachings are clear that we need to understand dukkha in order to become free of it. And so part of our task here in this class is to look more carefully at fear so we can start to understand it. There is not just one kind of fear or one way that it manifests. You know, fear is a word like pain where it's just the one word, but there's so many, there's so much variety. So there's a spectrum or a, a palette of different flavors of fear. And there's fear that happens in daily life and also fear that comes in meditation, even deep meditation. So we could become uh, connoisseurs of the different gradations and types of fear, if you will. So I want to consider first some um, specific fears that the Buddha discusses in his discourses. 
And I'm kind of, I'm sorry if we're just throwing out a list of fears, but the point is more that the Buddha named these in his teachings. You know, they were fears for people in his society, and we'll see that they're quite relatable and have modern equivalents for us also. So AN 9.5, Angutra 9.5, names five fears. You're going to get a handout later that includes the whole sutta, um, but you might, you might listen to these. Fear of the loss of livelihood. So fears around money, around security, around our health. Am I going to be able to work? Um, second one, fear of disrepute. So fear of looking bad, public embarrassment, being shamed on social media. You know, so many varieties of this. Um, the third one is fear of timidity in assemblies. So fear of public speaking, fear of being trounced in an argument, fears about daring to speak your mind or to think differently from the crowd. You know? um, this can go kind of deep in, in people. Can we stand up to others and to social pressures? Fear of death. This is a real one in and of itself, of course. But I think we could extend it to include fear about things that happen as we approach death, uncontrollable pain, dementia, the indignities of aging. And then finally, number five, fear of a bad destination, fear of what will happen after death. That can be present also. So these are pretty relatable, you know, the basic fears that humans face. I think are pretty much universal, um, pretty well recognized. And then there's also another sutta that you'll be receiving uh, the text of is Majjhima Nikaya 4, which is entitled Fear and Dread. Um, and this has more to do with fears that arise around meditation practice or around the process that we go through in our practice. So when we begin a meditation practice, you know, we sometimes think that it's going to help reduce our stress, bring happiness, create peace. And of course it does, it does do those things, but it might not be such a linear process. So, um, once the mind begins to settle a little bit through mindfulness meditation, it's very common for old material and memories often including some shade of fear, to surface in the heart. So just to say up front, this is normal. This is kind of expected as we settle down a bit. Sometimes I think maybe we ought to have a warning label on meditation courses, but then, you know, maybe not as many people would come, right? And so, um, but then, you know, encountering old experiences and memories is a whole I acknowledge it's a whole process in and of itself to work with those, and it's even just one level. So as we open even further to what's present in our mind and heart, we find what could be called patterns or views or beliefs, often based in some kind of fear uh, that we've used to survive. These are not trivial. They're deep notions about how the world is, how we are, 
and what we need to do or not do in order to be safe, to survive, to live life. So these can go, you know, yeah, these can go pretty deep. But, you know, if we're meditating in order to find real happiness and peace and even freedom, we will eventually bump up against these deep patterns and they'll throw up fear when they sense that they're being scrutinized by our awareness, when they're possibly being threatened um, by our emerging understanding of the, of the process. So Gil Fronsdahl says, any practice worth its salt will at some point bring up fear. I think that's true. So this is a practice worth its salt. <laughs> so then so then dealing with fear. Fear is a thing in practice. We're going to have to meet it. But interestingly, before we can meet any kind of fear directly, we might have to first deal with the reactivity that we have around fear. There are a lot of unskillful relationships that we can have to fear. So let's name a few of those just to put them all out there. Many of our unskillful reactions to fear fall into the classic categories of threat response because that's what fear emerges from. So fight, flight, or freeze. Broadly speaking, anger, running away, and shutting down. And there are several variations on these that are maybe worth naming. As I reflected and thought about my own experience, I found that there are really a lot of different variations of freeze come in, uh, in our being, collapsing, isolating, dulling out, becoming passive, becoming unwilling to try new things. That's often kind of rooted in fear. So there's so many ways that fear encourages us to disengage in some way. And I think when we, when we start practicing, we find that there are certain parts of us that, see if this resonates for you, that have been stunned by life. There's some parts of us that are in stun. And we, we find those through practice uh, and maybe start to unstun them. And then another, maybe another realm of reactivity is that we can have several layers of fear. You know, we can be afraid of fear itself. We don't want to experience it. So that's part of not wanting to try new things. Or another big one that should not be left unsaid is going up into our heads in many ways. Over-analysis, over-planning, a lot of that is based in anxiety, in fear, in just wanting to control things so we don't have to feel that. So there's a spectrum of fear and there's a spectrum of responses. Now, fortunately, I just named all the unskillful ones, but fortunately, there can be skillful responses to fear also. And in a little while, David is going to offer some strategies for not getting overwhelmed by fear that we can start with. So there, there's a famous quote from Winston Churchill, not the one about the only thing to be, we have to fear is fear itself. That's another famous one. But I like this one. If you're going through hell, keep going. If you're going through hell, keep going. So um, 
This is relevant for working with fear. It actually relates to the Buddha's own approach in the Sutta MN4 that we'll be talking about more as this course goes through. Um, so fear goes down pretty deep. You know, we may feel like we are constantly being orbited by fear and dread, right? The way Mars is orbited by Phobos and Deimos. Um, and, you know, do we want to keep living like that? And what can, you know, how can we tune into that in a way that helps us release those satellites? So I think I'll leave open uh, the question that may naturally emerge of what is the deepest root of fear? You know, where is all this coming from? I'm going to leave that open for your own exploration and contemplation. But I think that you'll find some useful and interesting material that speaks to that as this class unfolds, as we unfold more of the dimensions and the practices around fear. So we might maybe frame the question something like this, the, the Buddha had no fear. What had to transform for that to come about for him? So the task for Dukkha is to understand it. The task for fear is to understand it. So let's let's continue in that direction now, um, with a chance for you to talk a bit among yourselves. So, Diane, we'll leave that. Thank you, Kim. If you're going through hell, keep going. I love this. This is a kind of like sums up so much of the practice. So now we'd like to address maybe the fear of fear. That is, let's talk about fear. Let's just uh, get to, to know it and maybe to recognize that all of us have it in some form or another, and it gets expressed in different ways. So as Kim said, we like to put you into some breakout groups. There'll be groups of three or four, and you'll have a chance to discuss how does fear show up in your life? And in your practice, like what is the experience of fear? So what is the, how does it get expressed in the body? Um, what are some of the thought patterns? Maybe you get stuck in certain thought patterns or loops, or maybe you don't even experience fear a lot because there's this bouncing off and you just find yourself immediately distracting yourself. But with this um, recognition that it's better to like acknowledge the fear, just like everything else in Buddhist practice, right? We're bringing everything in. So how, what is the experience of fear like for you? And we're going to have an opportunity to talk about it. And in these small groups, there's no need to give advice to anybody, of course, right? Nobody wants advice. And there's nobody, uh, you don't have to feel like you have to think the same, like we're all allowed to have our own experiences of fear. Now it's just an opportunity for you to have a sense to think about it. And like, yeah, how, how does this show up for me? And we'll start to unpack like how to work with it and different ways um, to approach it. But first, we're just going to like personalize it for you as an individual. What's the experience of fear like? And you'll have like 12 minutes to talk about this. And it can be helpful to make sure that you leave time for everybody else. So um, just to keep an eye on the clock um, and allow time for everybody to speak. And maybe I'll just offer that um, you can go in the order 
No, I'm not going to say that. We'll just let the extroverts speak first and the introverts uh, speak later, right? Maybe when it comes to fear, we'll just uh, let that go. People go with their natural uh, tendency. So what's the experience of fear for you? How does it show up in your life and or in your practice? And when we're ready, David will send us off. Okay. Okay. So welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. And now we'd like to just offer an opportunity to uh, maybe share a little bit about how it was in the breakout group. You could share either how was it to talk about fear, like the experience of fear for you. This is not something that we often talk about. Or maybe how was it to hear people talking about fear? You don't have to give any specifics or names, but just the impact of um, hearing people talk about fear. Or maybe you had an aha moment, like, oh, I didn't realize I did that. Just like maybe somebody else that you heard or something like this or maybe you have a fear of breakout groups and how was it to like have the fear of being the fear anything you'd like to share so if you'd like to uh raise your zoom hand and uh we'd love to hear from you oh everybody's afraid <laughs> nancy okay uh, hi, everyone. Actually, that's it's quite funny, Diana, that you said that because that did come up in our group of people being afraid of small groups. <laughs> so I um, couldn't see the faces of my group mates when you said that, but I think we were probably all chuckling because that's the last thing we talked about. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was very, um, very poignant, very touching to um to hear people talk about fear, it's, you know, it's uncomfortable and, um, you know, it touches into a lot of deep things. So we, we, we went around once and, and people shared and, um, and then we kind of, um, we could all relate so much to each other. We're sharing different types of fears. So it's just like this nice kind of levity at the end. <laughs> we all kind of can laugh about, um, you know, our, our commonality and, um, you know, that, that, um, you know, this is, is something that, you know, we're not alone in kind of that. I think that brought some, some levity to our, our group at the end. So that was also nice to see. Great. Great. Thank you, Nancy. Right. There is something about recognizing the common humanity that part of the human experience is fear. And this can be really helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. And to my beloved co-teachers, I'm keeping an eye on whether you unmute or not. So just unmute yourself if you uh, you have something you'd like to add. And then uh, Hochito, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this, but most likely I'm not. You're close. It's Sochi. Sochi. Okay. Um, so for me, it seemed like uh, it was a nice, very nice beginning as we 
And um, some of us share like the fear, like a lot of the meditation practices come home to your body, be with your body and in order to be depressants. But like for me and for others, it was, it's very challenging when you don't feel safety in the body to meditate, you know, by coming to home to the body. It's like, well, that's not a safe place though. So that came up, you know, that how challenging it kind of like adds to the meditation practice. There's fear there. And the little aha moment was that fear shows up as anger, but it can show up as anger. And and I had went on one retreat and for seven days I was angry, like just the whole time and I couldn't understand why. I was in this big, beautiful surrounding, spirit rock, gorgeous, you know, and I was just like, every meditation was like, I hate meditating. This, I just don't like it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> it's like, and I couldn't like, um, you know, <clears throat> but I kind of went, oh, I think it must have been a lot of fear. <laughs> hmm. yeah. I just want to share that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I don't know if it makes you feel any better or not, but my first meditation retreat was 100%. I hated the teacher because they were making me sit there. (laughs) It wasn't until later I realized, oh, that was just projection, right? This was, I really didn't know anything, but I was filled with uh, just this person that was seemingly making me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I, I appreciate also saying that the body is not always a safe place. It cannot be a safe place. Yeah. This is something that uh, we can work with, of course, maybe finding a neutral place in the body, but that's not always easy. But thank you for naming that. So, Chito. Padma. Yeah, thank you, Diana. Um, So, yeah, it's always nice for me to be in breakout rooms in any of the sessions, just hearing different people's perspective and also feel feeling somewhat safe that we're all humans with same experiences. Um, with that said, I, I do have a question. Um, is worrying about, you know, I guess at least for me, you know, a lot of times, you know, worry about little, little things, you know, um, is that same as fear or is it's the fear of, you know, bigger things where, you know, there's fear comes up, whether it's a relationship or health or finances and, then you kind of build stories on it. Is that more of a fear? So that I'm I'm not quite sure. <laughs> and for me, um, the last is uh, meditation is one of the safe ones. I, I feel like I just want to be there all the time. <laughs> so um, yeah, see if we could address my question, maybe. Yeah, or maybe I'll, I'll open it up to my co-teachers, David. Do you... Yeah, that's such a great question, Padma. Um, I, I, when you first phrased it, I thought to myself, gosh, are there ever little things that come up in meditation in the sense that a little distraction can have buried within it the fear of not having control? And what is the fundamental, most fundamental thing over which we don't have control? Death. So it, it, sometimes it's just a very sh- short little path from what seems like just a little, you know, um, even lack of stability in the meditation, meditative stillness that can um, kind of, as Diana said earlier, or no, I'm sorry, Kim said, sort of lead us into a better understanding of uh, the fears that, you know, express themselves in various ways in the, in our practice. 
Yeah, yeah maybe. Me, um, oh, go ahead, Ying. Please. Yeah. So maybe just uh, use a few different words to capture. As a fear is one word that seems to be quite an umbrella word, but just a few different words and see if that kind some of the different words would land. Um, um, anxious, worried, or concerned, and sometimes it's an expression of wanting to run away, or um, this can all kind of have some flavors of fear, and there may be a, a wide number of words and phrases that may capture it. Yeah, I just want to offer that, and Kim. Yeah, I am just sitting and listening to the comments that have been brought forth and also just from the conversations we've had uh, about this topic. I want to acknowledge really explicitly that it is a tender topic to talk about. And in any of these groups, you don't need to be bringing your deepest, darkest, whatever. Um, You can be clear that you're bringing only what feels uh, safe to share with the group. And that anything you do offer is an offering to the group and is beautiful to help people connect in. This this fear, as we've already heard in these comments, comes in so many different flavors and they're very personal and unique. They've been shaped by so many factors. Um, Not being safe in the body is a reality for many people based on their history or their cultural um, circumstances, et cetera, gender. So... um, just acknowledging that and that there are a variety of tools that can help us to work with that. And again, there's going to be a uniqueness among us in which tools we want to take. So we put out all the kinds of fear and then we'll put out a bunch of kinds of tools and you're free to kind of choose and make it, make it your own in this course. Somehow feel, felt useful to say that. Thank you. Thank you. And then we'll do Cedar and then Debbie, and then we'll, then we'll move on to the next, uh, what we're going to do next, but uh, Cedar. Hi, actually, Cedar and I are together. I'm Robin. Oh, I'm Robin. And Natal. Um, I'm just grateful to be here. I've, I just wanted to mention that I've been with your five-day fear uh, workshop, and that was great. Um a number of people mentioned fear versus anxiety. And I just have heard, I think, some teachers talk about the difference being fear is something immediate and anxiety is more long term. But I wanted to get your take on that, any of the teachers, if that's if that's how you understand it. Yeah, I would say that anxiety often doesn't have a really clear, like, object of fear, whereas fear usually has, like, I'm afraid of this. And so that's another way we might distinguish between fear and anxiety. Anxiety often is a little more diffuse. We're not even, don't necessarily have some clarity about what it is specifically. But I think for the purposes of this course, we can kind of lump them together, Uh, like, you know, fear and anxiety and just that. The, that common feeling that they have. I don't know if my co-teachers have something they'd like to add or no. Okay. Thank yeah. you, Robin. Yeah. And uh, Debbie. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for offering this course. I'm really happy to be here with you. Um, 
it occurred to me just as I was talking, there were two of us in my group, it occurred to me as we, we were talking that um, I'd always thought of fear as being a form of aversion. Um, but there's so much delusion in it. You know, there's so... I think I, I, it's probably good that I'm sort of letting go of categorizing it so that I can sort of explore it more. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know what the grasping would be in fear, but there's definitely delusion. So thank you. Mm, thank you, Debbie, for highlighting that. Because often people want to like associate fear in the, one of the hindrances or in some of the defilements. So they kind of like try to make it neat and tidy in one of those categories. But it's, as you're pointing out, it doesn't, it's a mixture and doesn't fit neatly into one of those. And I don't know if David Ying or Kim, if you have something you'd like to add about that. Yeah, as I was uh, preparing for um, this topic, and I looked uh, for a dictionary definition of a fear, and looked uh, for a spectrum of a dictionary definition of a fear, what stood out for me was uh, there's a sense of a, a fear is a form of, you know, the words used are imagination, projection, or perception of an um, a possibility of a certain kind of a danger. And so there is a differentiation between danger that may be arising, kind of, you know, a car is coming, that's dangerous. But then there is a perception or imagination of, and that's kind of speak to what Debbie, you were saying, this kind of uh, delusion is uh, so many times a fear arise out of some imaginary danger that may happen. We actually don't really know. That's the reality. We don't really know. But it seems like it might happen. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's what I will offer. Yeah. There is also a connection to greed, just so we don't leave it out. Um, it has been found in neuroscience that the brain center that's related to um, acquisition and wanting is right next to the, the part that's about fear. And we can see that, um, you know, once we get, we, we worry that we're not going to get something. And if we do, we then worry that we're going to lose it. So there's a huge amount of fear around the process of greed and acquisition and having in mind. Great. Thank you, Kim. And I think we're going to move on now to David. I'm sorry, uh, Dave, I saw that you just raised your hand, but maybe, oops, sorry. okay, so maybe we can get to it later. We'll have a Q&A session later uh, this morning. But now I'll turn it over to David, who is going to talk a little bit more about fear. Yeah, and I'll use as a point of departure what Ying just introduced. This is a really useful um, distinction, I think, between uh, a present danger and the mind's ability to um, um, imagine, project, create super useful aspects or capacities of mind, to be sure. But if you think about it, if a car approaches you, the yin, uh, the, the, um, the example that yin provided, uh, the reflex to move out of the way can and frequently does happen without any fear, right? The mind is hardly involved, uh, at least in the at the um, you know, at the level of creating a sense of, oh, you know, an explanation of what's happening. It just, there's a knowledge that the appropriate thing to do 
to protect body and mind is to move out of the way if possible. So in thinking about ways to approach fear or to work with fear or to um, uh, meet fear in our practice, this is, I think, a very useful distinction. We're really talking about how to work with the mind's um, introduction of fears that seem maybe self-protective in the practice, but actually can keep us from being free or freer, right? So there are some things in the suttas that, and in fact, there's a lot in the suttas about fear and working with fear. And we're just going to introduce a fear, a few that seem to be, um, seem to have um, analogs perhaps in some, you know, more contemporary uh, understandings of uh, uh, useful ways to meet fear. In a general way, we have this, um, this encouragement from the suttas to be prepared to uh, engage in preparatory practices that help us meet fear simply by their sort of, I guess, their apotropaic, their um, ability to uh, help us um, step into and orient toward understanding fear rather than freeze, flight, or um, help me out, Kim. Fight. Um, Fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah, there's a fourth one sometimes added that I can't remember. Maybe it starts with an F too. Um, and these are obviously things like that show up in the gradual training, particularly virtuous conduct, uh, and also the recollection of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And on that, uh, from Samyutta Nikaya 11.3, for example. And I'm going to I'm going to make reference to a few suttas here. I'm going to do so in sort of abbreviated form, the text of these passages, as Diana indicated, we'll share with you uh, later after today's sessions. But the Buddha says this uh, in Samyutta Nikaya 11.3, if you've gone to the wilderness or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut and you find yourself, and I'm also kind of translating as I go, if you find yourself scared or terrified, just recollect me. And then follows the Dharma qualities, the pericope or the standard stock phrase that elucidate or that um, lists the qualities of the Buddha. And similarly, uh, the Buddha says, if you can't recollect me, then recollect the teaching, the Dharma. And follows with the Dharma qualities. And if you can't recollect the teaching, then recollect the Sangha. We can take these literally. And we can also take them in their metaphoric or figurative meanings that we can recollect um, when we find ourselves afraid or scared, the power of the Dharma, the possibility of awakening, or the community of practice that supports us as, for example, here today. Um, and it's interesting that Buddha at the end asks a rhetorical question, why is this? That is, why does this, these recollections, these three recollections of the three jewels, why might they help protect us against fear or meet fear? And it says, because the realized one, that is because the Buddha is free of greed, hate, and delusion, he is fearless. So as we'll see in a couple further passages, we're the, uh, our fear comes from these unwholesome roots and these not particularly skillful ways of meeting experience. And when those are counteracted in various ways, uh, there can be a freedom from fear. 
The, um, this is, this is echoed by a similar approach in Majjhima Nikaya 4, where the Buddha sort of, um, when he enters, uh, when he starts meeting fear, he finds it useful to recollect that, um, his sort of, the, the wholesome qualities that have resulted from his practice, the freedom from desire, um, the freedom from the five hindrances, that the mind is awake and sharp, that he is um, generous toward others, that he doesn't get startled easily, that he has few wishes. And these kind of reflections on the sort of the strengths of mind, this, the dedication to practice, the um, internal resilience that we've developed as part of practice, and just remembering that we didn't get here without, as Diana said, maybe not going through hell, but meeting hardship, meeting difficulty, meeting the pain in the knees or the, you know, the little fears that arise along the way. Reflecting on that can help, um, help give us confidence that we can continue um, to let go. So specifically, a couple skillful ways to meet fear that come up in the suttas and sort of want to focus again on Majjhima Nikaya 4, the sutta that directly addresses fear and dread in the Buddha's own path to uh, awakening. And what's suggested here is something quite specific and quite interesting. And that is that, that when fear arises in the practice, that we, it's a, it seems like a very simple instruction. A lot of these are among the simplest instructions we get, which makes them very appealing to me. But that, as the Buddha says, um, as he's decided, as he's determined that his approach is going to be to directly lean into the understanding of, of suffering that Kim pointed to. He says, um, when the fear and dread came upon me as I was walking, I didn't stand still or sit down or lie down until the fear had passed. Then the fear and dread came upon me as I was standing. I didn't walk or sit or lie down until I had got rid of the fear and dread while standing. And he continues with the other postures. In other words, the encouragement here is simply not to change posture. And if you think about it, these are among frequently the first instructions were provided, which is to um, not um, not move, to not change posture when any disruption, distraction uh, or other um, strong uh, urge uh, arises in the practice. And I find this quite compelling because it's simple and also because it seems to be echoed in some contemporary ways of understanding how fear comes up in the mind. Fear and other strong emotions that can move us away from staying with the practice and leaning into what's difficult and going, keeping going through hell, if that's what's coming up. But the, the, the um, insight that strong emotions, including fear, typically last 90 seconds and that riding them out can be, um, can simply be a matter of waiting them out. That all of their own, and this is a way in which we rest in some of the um, productive power of impermanence in our lives that any strong emotion, including fear, the Buddha, practicing, walking, meditation in, say, a charnel ground or places that are associated with great fear, finds that when fear and dread comes upon him as a human like the rest of us, 
if he just keeps walking, the fear will pass. And as it passes and as there's an absence of fear, fearlessness can be recognized. And as we recognize, we cultivate it. When we give it attention, it becomes, it establishes a momentum in mind that moves us toward greater fearlessness. Sometimes, and some of you may be familiar with this in the recovery community or a community I worked in once that focused on veterans with uh, mental health challenges and sometimes PTSD diagnoses can be referred to as uh, surf urge surfing, urge surfing, taking any strong impulse toward unskillful behavior or unwholesome mind state um, is a, can be like riding a wave. The waves come up, they feel very strong and compelling, and yet um, they can be they can be ridden out. And there can also, I like the urge surfing, surfing metaphor because uh, I'm not a surfer myself, but I gather that in surfing there is pleasure. There is uh, a sense of momentum of accomplishment and that um, I think in a similar way, when we lean into understanding suffering, there can be some enjoyment uh, in our um, growing confidence and ability to to wait out fear when it arises, as it inevitably will in our practice. So let me kind of bring things to a close here in the next couple of minutes with a couple more sutta passages. Um, in addition to this idea, uh, this skill, this habit of riding out fear when it arises that seem to be put forward in Majjhima 4. And it can really lead on to freedom. It's when the Buddha suppresses the fear in Majjhima 4 by riding out the urges, by surfing uh, through the waves of fear. That's when he's able to let go of some of the self-delusion. With that, he's able to enter into very deep states of meditation and find his way into uh, liberative insight. The, um, the uh, instructions, however, are so simple. <laughs> that sounds like a high bar and a big deal. And yet these instructions are so simple that any one of us, all of us, uh, can, can do them. And so let me finish not with one, but with two. I mean, not with two, but just one sutta passage. This is a verse from, um, in my notes, it says Samyutta 146. Is that right? Or is it Sutta Nipata? It must be Samyutta 146. You'll get it in the, in the handout. And it's a, it's a snippet of verse. It's a sutta that's a simple, single verse. And it says, This place is resounding with a group of nymphs and haunted by a gang of goblins. I'm going to give color commentary as I go. So there's here greed and aversion. This place, maybe this meditative space, is resounding with a group of nymphs and haunted by a gang of goblins. And it's a, it's a grove called delusion, maybe particularly uh, a delusion around self or self-obsession. How am I supposed to live with this? This path is called the straight way, and it's headed toward a place called fearless. The chariot I ride is called unswerving. And it's fitted with wheels of skillful thoughts. Conscience is its backbench. Mindfulness 
It's upholstery. And the teaching, the Dharma, is the driver. With right view running out in front. Any woman or any man who has such a vehicle, by means of this vehicle, can draw near to awakening. So it's a beautiful piece of verse. And yet the instructions it points to are ones that are very familiar. Mindful attention when we find ourselves in this grove uh, pushed hither and thither, hither and yon by wanting, by aversion, by desirous attachment, by self-obsession. Skillful thoughts, the recollection of Buddha Dharma Sangha, mindfulness to what's going on, leaning forward into uh, trouble, adversity, uh, suffering, fear, and that as we do so, we create a momentum forward toward being more awake. Thank you, David, and for this beautiful elaboration. And uh, with that, uh, just writing along what uh, David said just now, and we're going to move into a meditative practice. And so, so far in this session today, we've experienced teachings, uh, discussions, questions, reflections. And now we're moving into yet another form, which is a meditative practice. And so I'm going to ring bell uh, as a signal to start. And um, as you hear the sound of a bell, maybe allow yourself to settle into a meditative posture. It'll be just about 15 minutes or so. at the beginning of the meditation. Pausing. Pausing the flow of thinking, the flow of mental activities. and pausing to allow ourselves to enter the present moment. The present moment where sati becomes available. Mindfulness becomes available. Maybe you are aware of the sound, sound of my voice, or the ambience sound. Maybe you're aware of the body sitting or lying down.
entering into the temple of the present moment, here and now. Sensing breath, the temperature on the skin, or just a global sense of the body resting on earth. Sometimes it can be helpful to evoke or establish a certain kind of inner atmosphere by aligning our heart and mind with something that a heart and mind feels valuable and heart and mind can trust and be the sense of aligning with the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. may come as a form of recollection or refuge or a kind of container that our heart and mind can rest in. This is the field from which we practice. Aligning with the kindness. With the heart's aspirations.
You may feel this sense of aligning in the body. Maybe the posture can shift through the aligning. Or maybe there are some heartfelt feelings. The heart can be more at ease. Maybe the nerve systems can relax ever so slightly. It could even just be a possibility of softening, relaxing. In this meditation, we'll drop in, invite some way of working, being with this word fear. And maybe just this few words, you're already feeling something. Maybe a memory. Maybe a thought. Maybe there is some kind of embodied sense that you can recognize some flavors of a fear may be present. A tightness, contraction in the body. Some kind of emotions, swelling, found as a mindful, heartful space, a field to allow the recognition of a fear in whatever form to just be what it is. Like you're in a big room, there is a, a young child 
is a little frightened. Without going to fix the child, but to do anything right away. And we simply make space for fear to be here. Kindly recognize, acknowledge Feel and sense fear. Without changing anything. Fear is in form of an emotion. Emotion moves like any motion. Recognizing any reactivities that may arise. Tendencies to try to do something, to fix. To judge, to blame. without changing posture. Just like the Buddha. The reactivities are also movements, the waves that come and go. There is a vast space a kind field that can hold and be with the fear just as it is.
recognizing the maybe momentary release of a fear, momentary absence of a fear. Could that be a possibility? Are we available to that possibility? Thank you, Ying. And I think I'm giving, I will be giving Zoom a little run for its money on its noise cancellation. There's a lot of noise outside my window. I hope it's uh, not too disruptive. Thank you, Ying, for um, bringing forth like this possibility of being with uh, fear and not running away from it and also both David and Yin kind of highlighting that we can have these um, preparatory practices that ways that we can uplift the mind and the heart that help us to address fear as well as ways that we can be with the experience without turning away from it and then I do want to acknowledge a little bit what's happening in the chat I just want to say that there are, maybe we could like do this lumping of two types of fear. There's fear of imminent danger. This is natural, <laughs> healthy, and they're appropriate. And then there's fear of not an imminent danger. And that's the type of fear we're addressing. We are not addressing the fear that's appropriate when your life is being threatened, right? We're not addressing that. So I just want to say that. And so we'd like to hear um, how was it to like practice with the meditation with uh, Ying and the way that uh, she kind of led us through this meditation. And David, who kind of said, well, this is what the Buddha did, that when he was feeling a lot of fear, that he chose to not change his posture, instead to just be with the experience. And Dave, I think it was you, right, that had that your hand up at the end of the last uh, Q&A. Do you still have a question that you'd like to ask now? <laughs> you don't have to. It's up to you. Oh, I thought about your um, your attempting to, well, I won't say attempt, but you're trying to distinguish or working to distinguish anxiety from fear. And it for me, much of my anxiety does bring reactions in the present. It's not a uh, it's not necessarily that subtle. A member of our group mentioned not being able to sleep from the anxiety that this person has as a result of 
say, well, in my case, an ego getting in the way. Um, I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna about to project that on this person, but it that underlying anxiety definitely manifests itself in the moment for me many times. When it comes into and when it's manifested as procrastination, then yes, learning to let go, to just fight right through it, do it, accept my imperfections, helps immensely. And that awareness of mindfulness and that maybe no one's going to notice my mistakes. Like when I cook, I mean, many of us perhaps think, well, this is not as good as I intended or this has came out differently. Everyone else might enjoy it. They don't pick up on my mistakes. So I, anyway, it just, I do take that underlying anxiety and it manifests itself in the moment so many times. My yeah. ego gets away. Yeah, yeah. This is so great that you're mentioning both the ego and in the present moment. And the part of the beauty of this practice is that we can work with the experience right now. There's a lot of anxiety and it feels like tightness in my jaw and my shoulders are going up, for example. And this is something that we can work with right now instead of trying to convince ourselves or to think our way out of it, because that doesn't always work. It's not always available to us, but instead to maybe just be with the present uh, moment experience and to feel like, what are my shoulders doing? Do I have a lump in my throat or maybe my stomach is uh, uh, uncomfortable or something like this? And then this... um you said that your ego gets involved. So much of fear is tied to our sense of self. And we'll talk, we'll unpack this in some of the later classes. But uh, when the sense of self feels threatened in whatever way, and like there's innumerable ways in which that can happen, that often is underlying the fear. And, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. Um, I don't know, Ying, Kim, David, if you have something that you would like to add. Well, I just would, I guess, add to what you said. This that the 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 th the practice that seems to be very helpful is recognizing fear as fear. You know, to go to be become familiar with it, um, and to um, recognize even before there's any kind of thinking through you know, any compensatory thinking, it just to kind of go, oh, here's this old familiar, you know, usually it's quite a familiar, well-known um, experience that's happening. And just maybe it need, maybe it's useful to name it or label it, but maybe it's just useful to go, oh, here's this again, or here's this, and this is what's coming up. Um, so I just wanted to add that. And it, the immediacy of it, where's it in the body? Um, or any any number of ways that just keep us really close to it instead of, you know, explaining it away or thinking it through or analyzing it. Um, that seems to be, again, what the Buddha, <laughs> for what it's worth, you know, practice on the night of his awakening is just to. And I loved it when somebody said it's not just physical posture that we stay with. You know, we stay with the experience without moving, as it were, without moving away, without fear, flight, or freezing, but we just stay present with it. Great. Oh, yeah, sorry, Ying. Yeah, maybe I'll just uh, add a little from what David was saying. And this uh, capacity that we're cultivating 
to recognize the flavors of a fear, kind of like what Diana was saying, there may be two kinds or multiple kinds of fear for us to really get to know um, a particular kind that may be wholesome and healthy. And there are kinds that are tends to really just get us very caught up and that leads to much um, stress and more dukkha in ourselves and others. And so this getting to know this really began to be able to differentiate is a very important capacity we're cultivating. Without this, um, we tend to write along with so much of a reactivities and analysis and our beliefs and views that really just creating a lot of dukkha in ourselves and, and others. Thank you. Thank you, Ying. And maybe I'll pass it on to Kim and she can help close. Okay, yeah, we're we're at the end of our time for today, but as you can see, we've barely touched the tip of the iceberg um, on this. So I have just a couple things to say. One is that um, uh, you'll get a handout uh, between these two classes, between now and Thursday, that has um, some of this, these teachings that we're sharing on it so that you can study it at your leisure and uh, not feel like you need to take a lot of notes on that or, or memorize or anything. Remember what we're saying about that. And I want to say also that um, the future classes, we're going to move from this bringing up a fear, touching into it, into the real possibility of cessation of fear or its reduction, you know, through meditative practices. We've already started on that um, or through its elimination eventually through awakening. So hang in there. <laughs> um, if you're feeling a little um, like stuff was brought up, great. Please come back. We have other um, means of addressing it. And to hold open this possibility that even these kinds of fear that are very real can be transformed by working with what somebody called second arrow fear. The Buddha had no fear. Wow. Wow. And we work, you know, we work in our realm. So please hold open the possibility that all kinds of fear can be transformed, sometimes in surprising ways. Be well, friends. Thank, Thank you. you, everyone. See you Thursday. If you'd like, you can unmute and we could all say goodbye together in a an organized, messy way. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.